Butterfly Lake Norman. How we doing this morning? We feeling good? I got four of you that's awake. How we doing? We feeling good? There we go. There we go. Hey, before we get started, man, I, I, need, to, I need to just say thank you uh, for a moment. Uh, I need to say thank you for all the text messages. I need to say thank you for all the phone calls, all, all the flowers, um, all the cards that we've gotten, all the messages that we received. Um, last week, uh, Jenna's dad uh, passed away, and uh, man, he graduated into heaven. Um, so we were able to celebrate his life. Uh, thank you for everyone who, who came out. Um, and and this, is, this is something we said at the funeral and something that I want to say uh, publicly here as well. Uh, man, many, many of us were praying. I, I know many of you were praying for weeks and, and weeks and weeks uh, for just a complete and total healing. And this is, this is what I recognize. What I recognize is this. God answered our prayers, uh, just not in the way that, that we thought he would answer our prayers. What I know is that, that Tom is in heaven, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and his body is fully healed, and he's celebrating with the Savior. And, and this is what I know. If you've ever met my father-in-law, the man likes to talk. If you ever had a conversation with Tom, will you just slip up your hand for me for just a second? Like, the man loves to talk. Here's the problem. If you back yourself into a corner, like, he's going to continue to talk until somebody comes and saves you. Uh, so I, I'm just convinced that he's sitting with Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, listen, Tom, listen, I got to get to a couple other people. Hey, well, well, you got eternity up here. Like, I'll, I'll, get to you, I'll get back to you tomorrow. But I just wanted to say thank you uh, for, for all of that. Uh, let's get back on track to our, our Generations series. Because now more than ever, I believe that generations truly do matter. What I've experienced over the past several weeks is, is that generations truly matter. What you pass down from generation to generation matters. How we're involved in one another's lives, it matters. How we serve one another, it matters. How we support one another, it matters. How we lift up one another, it matters. Your prayers, your cards, your text messages, your phone calls, it mattered to us this week. It lifted us up. It made us better. It made us recognize that we have a peace that surpasses understanding. Because of why? Because people in the church poured in to our lives. Let me give you kind of a backtrack if you haven't been with us for a few weeks. Week one, we dove in to Genesis chapter 12. And we talked about God's promises, and God's promises are for all generations. And it takes all the generations working together to receive all of the promises of God. And I use this metaphor of a fire, and you guys will remember this by now if you've been here for a couple of weeks. But, but the coals represent that 55-plus community, that community that has wisdom, they have guidance. They're often teaching individuals how to do the heavy lifting. And we recognize that we need the seasoned generation in the church. We need the seasoned generation pouring into other people's lives. And then we use that second layer of the fire, and that was the fuel. You know, anyone between the ages of 30 to 55. And I challenge the individuals between 30 to 55 to do the heavy lifting. And I'll remind you that Brian King is over 55. And Sorry, Brian. And, and he, he reminded me that he still had some heavy lifting to do, even though he was in that season generation. And, and what I believe is this. Yes, Brian still has some heavy lifting to do. That 55 plus generation still has some heavy lifting to do. But what would it look like if they started teaching others to do the heavy lifting? If they started teaching that 30 to 55 group to do the heavy lifting and, and then that fuel, what do they do? They reach to the younger generation, they reach to the older generation, and they begin to bridge the gap. And then we talked about the new wood. And the new wood was anyone under the age of 30. Now, I'm reluctant to say that I'm not in that group anymore. I thought I was a lot closer to that group than I was. I'm not anymore. 
But, but we need that under 30 group. Why? Because we need your energy. We need your charisma. We need your questions. We need your wonder. We, we need you to keep pushing us forward. So we talked about those three different layers. And, and all those layers play a part in expanding the kingdom of God only when they leave their comfort zone. Remember we talked about Abram, and Abram was 75 years old. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, so leave everything you know. Leave your relatives, leave all of your family, and leave your father's family. So leave your heritage, leave your inheritance, leave everything that you would gather if you stayed in the land, and go to the land that I will show you. So Abram gets all of his gatherings, he gets his nephew Lot, and they get on the road. And then week two, we dove into Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 6. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between who? Abram's herders and Lot's herders. And what we recognize is that God calls us out of our comfort zones. And when he calls us out of our comfort zones, sometimes the season changes and our relationships change. And when those seasons change and those relationships change, we talked about you being able to live one of three ways. The first way that you can live is closed-handed. The second way you can live is backhanded, And the third way you can live is open-handed. See, when you live a closed-handed life, what you're saying is, I'm selfish. I'm going to look out for me, myself, and I. I'm going to gather as much as I can. I don't care about anyone else as long as I'm taken care of. When we live a backhanded life, it's a, a lifestyle that's bitter. It's a lifestyle that's been hurt. And, and you would say things like, well, I've been hurt in my life before, so I'm not going to let anyone else get close to me. I've been hurt in relationships before, so I'm not going to trust other relationships. My family members have hurt me before, so I'm going to keep them at arm's length. And what we do is we end up living a bitter lifestyle, keeping people just close enough where we can keep an eye on them, but far enough away where we think they can't hurt us. Or, or you can live an open-handed lifestyle. And an open-handed lifestyle says, you know what, I'm concerned about the other person and I'm, a con and I'm concerned about the expansion of the kingdom of God. In week three, uh, the title of the message in week three was God promised, but it's not what I see. Y'all remember that one? And we dove into scripture and we recognize that God's promises are still good even after some time later. I don't care how far you feel away from God this morning. His promises are still good. I don't care how, how far you or how much you've sinned in your past. His promises are still good. I don't care what you tell yourself in the mirror in the morning when no one else is around. His promises are still good. Listen, I don't care how much you doubt yourself. His promises are still good. I don't care if you're scared about the direction that God's calling you. His promises are still good even after some time later. And here's the deal. I could probably stop right now and open up the altars in hopes that they would be full. In hopes that every one of you sitting out there would recognize that God's promises are still good. But here's the reality. I don't think we question if God's promises are still good or not because they are. We question if God's promises are still good for us or not, for you as the individual. See, it's easy to look at someone else and say, hey, God's promises are good for you. But then when you're sitting by yourself, when no one else is around, maybe you're thumbing through Netflix, maybe you're in your car, maybe you're getting ready in the morning, and that doubt starts to creep in, that, that fear starts to creep in, 
that, that mindset of, oh, my time is gone, my time has passed. During Christmas, if you were here, you remember the ornaments that we passed out, and you wrote your dreams on your ornaments, and we said to hang them on your tree. Now, many of you have already packed those ornaments away. If you haven't packed up your Christmas stuff, shame on you. I am judging you publicly. At least I'm not doing it privately. No, but you, you, pack, those, you pack those ornaments up. And you put them away, but, but just because those ornaments are packed doesn't mean that your dreams have to be packed. It doesn't mean that your dreams are on a shelf for next year when you pull them down. No, your dreams are still active and moving. Week four, Pastor West did a phenomenal job last week, and he, and he spoke about stop becoming a victim and keep your eyes on the destination. So think back to the, to the dream that God promised to Abraham. Think back to Genesis chapter 12. I'll pick up in verse 2. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. We connected to the dots. I've said this for four weeks in a row. Like repetition. Hopefully it works sometimes. They say it works in school. It never worked for me. Hopefully it works for you. But we're connecting some dots. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ... So if you're in this room, you're under the sound of my voice. Now that you have a relationship with Jesus, check this out. You are true children of Abraham. What does that mean? You are his heirs. Okay, so what? And God's promise to Abraham now belongs to you. So what God promised Abraham in the book of Genesis from 12 to 22. Listen, the promises that God gave to Abraham are still good for you today. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, they, it reads really good. It reads really good, just like the songs we sing. They sing really good, but practically, practically, we're coming up on chapter 17. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 17 today. If you're taking notes, write it down. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. But in chapter 17, what God said still isn't matching what I see. It still isn't matching what I read. And I think sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves in life and we can say, hey, God, what I heard from you still hasn't come to pass. God, the direction that I feel like you're calling me still hasn't come to pass. You, you felt it in your heart of hearts. You felt it that without a shout of a doubt that God was calling you in a specific direction. But for some reason, it still ain't happening. For, for some reason, it hasn't come to pass. And then, if we're not careful, we start saying things like this. If it was from God, it wouldn't be this hard. You ever been there? It's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. Why? Because that's some jacked up theology. When, when was it ever easy? When was it ever easy in Scripture? That's right, Sam. It was easy for Job. You know, when Job lost his entire family, when Job lost his kids, he lost all his possessions, and then the three dudes that were supposed to be his friends came and talked to him. It, it was easy for Job, right? What about, what about David? It was easy for David because David was anointed king, right? But then he had to run from Saul for his life because the dude was trying to kill him. But it, but it was easy. What, what, about, what about Moses? It was easy for Moses, right? No, it was easy for Esther, right? It, it was easy for the disciples, right? Like as they were walking around and, and talking about Jesus, it was easy for them until they were what? Killed? Like it, it was easy. I think if we have this theology or this mindset that if it was from God, that it would be easy, you just haven't fully read through Scripture or you just don't fully understand it. Just because it's from God doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. 
Listen, life, life isn't easy. I, I don't know if, you have, if you've experienced it or not, but, but I've experienced it in my life. Life isn't easy. But I tell you what, the moments and, and the situations and the things that I have walked through in my life that aren't easy have made me better. And we can, we can shy away from it. We can act like it doesn't exist. We can avoid it. So what are you doing? You're just saying, I don't want to grow. I, I don't want to move. I'm going to become complacent. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. Why is that even significant? When Abram was 99 years old, why is it significant? It's because Abram received his promise when he was 75 years old. So 24 years later, 24 years later. So he received his promise when he was 75. Ishmael was born when he was 86. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be a father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Verse 7, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant covenant that's why we connected the dots from this scripture to galatians 3 29 the end of verse 7 says i will always be your god and the god of your descendants after you verse 8 and i will give you what all the land all the land of canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants it will be their possessions forever and ever and i will be their god see god said it Abraham believed it. God sold me some stuff in my life, and, and I've believed it. But some things in my life still feel unfinished. Have you ever been there before where, where you felt like God's told you something? You felt like you were receiving a promise from God, but for some reason it feels unfinished. Jenna and I moved into our house about three years ago, and uh, man, I... <laughs> I've always, like, wanted to do all types of projects in my house. Anybody else ever been there? Like, you moved into it. Some hands, like, shut up. Like, you're telling on yourself. But we've been in the house for three years. I've wanted to change the light fixtures for three years. It's unfinished. I've wanted to put new carpet or, or new flooring upstairs and get rid of the carpet, and it's still unfinished. There's some projects that we've talked about that we want to do, mainly my fault. But, but it, it's, just, it's just unfinished. Fellas, you see what I did there? Like, I took the blame. Take a note. That's an, that's an asterisk in your notes. Like, take that note. Wisdom in this body. No. But, but it feels unfinished. Luke, you're out there somewhere. Like, you, you flip houses. And you do it regularly. And I'm sure many of you, you, like many other people flip houses. But, here, but here's the deal. It's a lot easier to sell a house that's finished rather than unfinished. Like, I, I, know, I know when you're about to sell a house or when you're about to put one on the market because your stress level goes up here and you come into the gym. You lift heavier weights, but you're always on the phone. Like, I gotta, I'm, I'm listing it today. I got 17 showings, like, in one hour. Like, I don't, but it's easier to sell a house that's finished. We're building a building. Here's a, an asterisk in your notes as well. Um, we're going to have our groundbreaking soon right down the street for our new building, which is exciting. We, we'll invite everybody out. 
So don't miss a Sunday because I'm going to announce it on a Sunday, like on purpose. No, but, but like we're, we're, building this, we're building this building. And this is what I know. We're not going to move into a building that's unfinished. We want the building to be finished when we move in. So verse 8, I will give you all the land of Canaan. God, you've been saying this to Abraham for five chapters now. What's going on? Where you live as a foreigner to your descendants, it will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. There's three critical questions that we need to ask this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first one is this. What is taking all the land mean for you? For you. Like, I, I, I chose my words purposefully there. For you as an individual. Not for the person sitting beside you. Not for your boyfriend or girlfriend that you came with. Not for your fiancé. Not for your spouse. But, but for you. Not, not for you two together. Maybe you came in single. Not, that, not for anybody, but for you. What does it mean for you? See, it started with Abram in chapter 12. But he had to go through a season of development and discovery. And Abraham really didn't know who he was or what he was made of until he left his comfort zone and he got in a few fights. He got in a few battles. Remember a few weeks ago he had to go rescue his nephew? Because his nephew got kidnapped by some people and, and he had to get his boys together and he had to go fight. You never know who you really are until you leave your comfort zone and you get in a few battles. But I wonder if at some point Abram thought something along the lines of, I'm not good enough. Or God used someone else. I've been there. When we, I, I can probably share this story now. How long have we, is, we're over four years of planning the church. Are we over four years? Anybody know? There you go. Thank you, Brian. I was just wondering if like somebody was awake out there. Like I appreciate it. We're an active church. If you're new today, if I ask a question, feel free to respond. It doesn't have to be a monologue up here the whole time. All right? Like we want to open it up. So four and a half years. So I, I feel like I can I share this story now. Um, but man, when we first planted the church, um, there, there was a season in the first about three or four months where, where I, didn't feel, I didn't feel qualified to be the pastor. Man, I was, I was a young guy. I'm still a young guy, but I was a young guy. There were people in the church that could have probably done a better job than me at the time. But I, I just felt inadequate. And, and I had those thoughts of I'm not good enough. I had those thoughts of God use someone else. But let me speak directly to those statements. Because Abram by himself wasn't good enough. Zach Witt by himself isn't good enough. You, you by yourself, you're not, you're not good enough. But it was God working through Abram that made him good enough. It's not about what Abram thought about himself. It's not what you think about yourself. It's not what I think about myself. It's what God says. Because what I know is this. It's not what we think about. If it's truly what, about what God says, God calls you a son and daughter. God says that you have a divine design. God says that you were made to impact the world. But for some reason, we've convinced ourselves that our thoughts and actions are somehow supersede what God said. Somehow we feel like what we say about ourselves is greater than what God said about us. Can I remind you that God's words spoke the universe into existence? Can I remind you that God's words opens blind eyes? Can I remind you that God's words cause the lame to walk? Can I remind you that God's words uh, uh, mend marriages? 
Can I remind you that God's words are greater than anything that we could ever say about ourselves? Do you really think that your words about yourself are stronger than that which God has spoken over you? Well, we don't want to say it out loud. It got real quiet in the room. It's like, no, 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 I would never say that about somebody, but you think it about yourself. Even if it's in your subconscious. So what do we do? We change our mindset. See, God doesn't bless around you. God blesses through you. God God didn't bless around Abraham. God said, I'm going to bless through you. That you will be a father of generations upon generations upon generations. Let me take it a step further. Blessing starts with you, but it doesn't stop with you. If blessing stops with you, all you're doing is becoming a consumer. Preached about that a few months ago. Are you just consuming and consuming and consuming? Every time you bless, you, you hoard. Every time somebody pours into you, you hoard, you hang on to it. If it stops with you, you're just a consumer. If God blesses you, your response should be, how can I bless others? It's a generational blessing. Man, many of you know Pastor Doug. He's, he's our senior pastor over the Multiply family of churches. And, and, and Pastor Doug is a spiritual father to me. He imparts wisdom into me. He imparts guidance into me. He imparts direction into me. And shame on me if I just hoard that wisdom and that guidance and that direction opposed to pouring it into someone else. I need to get you to believe your blessing, that you would be extremely fruitful. Well, Zach, where are you getting that from? I'm getting it from verse 6. God says, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Not kind of fruitful. Not, not halfway fruitful, but extremely fruitful. And for some reason, that terminology just rubs people the wrong way. It's kind of like you have a false humility about yourself. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not good enough for God to bless me. I, I don't need to get the blessings of heaven. Have you read your Bible? Like God, God wants to bless you. The problem is humanity has taken that out of context. And humanity has, and the, the church has kind of made it like this name it and claim it weird stuff. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is being aligned with God and God wants to bless you. Why? So you can bless others. And I'm not talking about just your wallet or your pocketbook. Uh, what, what does it mean for God to, tr- or for you to truly bless someone as you've been blessed? You aren't blessed to hoard and consume. You're blessed to be a blessing. If someone is pouring wisdom into you, what would it look like for you to pour wisdom back into someone else? If someone is giving you their time, what would it look like for you to sit down and give your time to someone else? That, that false humility, I'm going to call some people out right now. That false humility is like you're sitting down at dinner and somebody wants to pay for your meal, and then you just start a 15-minute argument on why they can't pay for your meal and why you're going to pay for their meal. Like, just, just take the blessing. Like, like, if you're sitting down with me and say, hey, I'm going to cover lunch, let me pay for lunch. Don't consume it. Go pay for someone else's lunch. Why do I like going out with people, Sam? Man, I like going out with people to sit down, to spend time with them. I love blessing people. But my hope is that they wouldn't just go, hey, thanks, man. My hope is that they would pass it on. So where have you been blessed in your life that you're not passing it to others? Where can you pour into to other people? 
Riley, I see you do this with, with teenagers all the time. Like when, when you're coaching, man, I, I see you pouring in what you know, what you've learned from someone else into other kids. You're making them better. Matt, you do it all the time. When you go around from grocery store to grocery store, because of what you've learned, you're imparting it into others. See, we can do it in business. We can do it in work. But for some reason, it's hard to do it with the day-to-day life. Listen, I, I, can, I can walk with people through loss now because I've experienced loss. I, I can walk with people through marriage now because, not that I have it figured out, because I don't, but, but babe, we've been together for 10 years. Married for nine, but together for 10. Where, where can I pour things into other people's lives? What have you learned in your life that you can impart that to others? Don't consume Don't just think you've arrived because you've been blessed. The second question we have to ask is this. What does taking all the land mean for your physical and your spiritual family? The end of verse 6 says, Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Verse 7, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you from generation to generation. God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The promises of God are bigger than any one generation, and it takes all the generations working together to receive all the promises of God. I, I mentioned it earlier. It's the coals. It's the fuel. It's the new, go- the, the new wood. But I have to ask us this question. What are we doing now to step up into generational Blessing for your physical and your spiritual family. I was kind of dreading getting to this part in the, in the service, I'll be honest with you. Because this generational stuff isn't just something that we should talk about to check off a list. This generational stuff isn't just something that, that preaches good. This generational stuff is something that's real and something that's practical. L- l- let, me give you, let me give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Here, here's the reality. My daughters will never grow up with a grandfather. My, my dad passed away a few years ago. Jenna's dad passed away. They'll, they'll never grow up with a grandfather. There's a group that I'm in, uh, Thursday morning men's Bible study group. And I texted them a couple of days ago. And I said, fellas, my girls, it just hit me, my girls will never grow up with a, a grandfather. And in that text, this is what I said. I said, they need some really good uncles right now. There's people in this room that don't have a father that's present in their life. But what I also know is that there's people in this room that have that fatherhood or that motherhood mentality. And you have so much love and so much care inside of you that you just want to pour into someone else. That's what this generational thing is all about. Physical and spiritual. Yes, like look out for your household. But, but look out for the kingdom of God as well. Matt, I, Matt I'm, I'm like hoping you'll pour into my, my daughters. I'm hoping they can look up to you one day and, and you can pour into them. Jake, I'm hoping, I'm hoping our kids can grow up together wherever you are. I'm hoping our kids can grow up together. I hope you can pour into my daughter's life. John, I hope you can be a a grandfather to my girls. I I see the way that you're a grandfather now with with your family. 
But there's people in this room that need a grandfather. What, what would it look like? What would it look like to take this generational stuff serious? The third question we have to ask is this. What does taking all the land mean for our church, our city, and for the nations? See, 17.2, God says countless descendants, not just children, but your spiritual children. Verse 6, a multitude of nations. Verse 8, all the land. God wants to reach our city and the nations through our church. So how can we do this? It's multiply church. Multiplying churches is multiplying disciples. How, how do we do that? We do that through life, freedom, family, and purpose. If you're at this church for any length of time, you'll hear me talk about this over and over and over again. We believe that when people walk through those doors, they can find life. They can find a new relationship with Jesus. We believe that people can find freedom. You can't take care of tomorrow until you've taken care of yesterday. We believe that people can find family, whether that be inside of a group or outside of a group or, or excuse me, or just relationships that you've built among each other in the room. And we believe that people can find purpose. Everyone in this room has a divine design that God has put inside of you. So let me, let me jump forward a couple of months. Let's, let's dream for a second. You want to? I don't care if you want to. I'm going to. Let's dream for a second. A couple months, Easter's coming up. What, what would Easter at Multiply Church look like? What would Easter for Lake Norman look like? If we took this resurrection stuff seriously, if we took the word of God seriously, because this is, this is what my Bible tells me. My Bible tells me that the first resurrection took place in the streets. Y'all remember, remember when Jesus came up from hell, death, and the grave? Remember when Jesus busted out of the tomb? Where was he? He was walking in the streets. And what my Bible tells me is that the final resurrection will take place where? Take place in the streets. Because when I read my Bible, what it tells me is that Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives and he's going to walk through the eastern gate. And when he walks through the eastern gate, what is he walking on? He's walking on the streets. So, so what if? What if our job in the meantime is to take the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the streets? The resurrection of Jesus Christ should be our biggest celebration ever. What, what would it look like if we were outreach-centered? What would it look like if we took this generational thing, not just inside the church, but said, you know what, I'm going to look out for my community. I'm going to take it to downtown Davidson. I'm going to take it to Mooresville. I'm going to take it to Cornelius. I'm going to take it to Huntersville. Let, let me get in your grits a little more. What if we said something like this? What if we said, I'm going to take it to the gym. I'm going to take it to CrossFit 926. I'm going to take it to Burn Boot Camp. I'm going to take it to GFIT. What, what if we were practical with where our lives lead us? We would actually talk about Jesus. What, what if this? Here, here's like a noble concept. What if you actually talk to your neighbor? Like we, we think, I got I to gotta look for all these people to invite the church. I got to look for all these people to tell them about Jesus. But we can't walk down the sidewalk and knock on the door. Hey, it works. It worked for me anyway, because my neighbors are sitting in here right now, I think. So I can say this. Well, I, one of my neighbors is sitting in here. The one on the other side of me. Y'all are like a couple, couple doors down, so I'll count you two. We're, we're like quasi-neighbors. They're like three, three doors down. The neighbor on our left goes to this church. The neighbor on our right, they're pastors at another church, so they can't. But, but what would it look like to actually talk to your neighbors? What would it look like? If you were at your kid's practice 
and you're sitting there for way too long, and at this time of the year, it's way too cold, what would it look like for you to talk to the other parents on the team about Jesus, about the church? Hey, what if you're, what if you're in college right now? Listen, y'all's school is a tough place to be sometimes. It's tough. It's hard. But what would it look like if you actually went back to campus and talked about Jesus? There are seven of you in here right now that I can count. Why not 70? Why not use your influence to talk about Jesus? What, what if, I'm getting down for this one. What, like, seriously though, what, what if God, y'all just came here, so y'all are freaking out right now. Y'all been here a couple times, so I'll talk to y'all. But, but let's, here, we'll get, we'll get real, real, okay? Mainly because my back's hurting. But ser- seriously though, because this is the type of conversation that we would have if we were sitting in a coffee shop. I, I think sometimes we can come to church and like there can be a person on the stage and they can be talking and, it, and it's hard to conceptualize. But, but over a cup of coffee, things kind of change a little bit. Start dreaming a little bit, start thinking a little bit. So I like we got some coffee. But truly though, what would it look like for you three to make an impact at Davidson College? Because I can focus on all the negative stuff about Davidson. It's easy. But I can focus on the positive that there are three men that are sitting in here right now saying, you know what, I actually want to pursue a relationship with Jesus. What would it look like for you to radically change the college campus? Because I can read in the history books where, where things got changed through education. I can read in history books where, where education, education was actually a center point of of the spiritual aspect of life kind of bursting and growing, what if it started with you three on Davidson College? Now I'm, now I'm going to come to y'all because I can. But truly, what, what would it look like for you four? Why not? Y'all told me where you, like, all of you were from. Like, South Africa, Germany. What's the other one? Netherlands, Richmond, Virginia. You know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but why not? Why not you? See, I think if we're not careful, what we'll do is like, we'll kind of look around and go, well, I hope somebody else does it because I don't know if I'm qualified. Listen, your boy wasn't qualified to plant a church, but we did it. We did it anyway. Why? Because I want all the land. I want all the promises of God. We started at Our Town Cinemas. We moved to Liberty Prep, and, and we've grown, and we've seen salvations, and we've seen baptisms. But what I know is this. There's still some unfinished business. The house is still unfinished, and it, it's time for us to take it to the streets. Let me go back to you for a second. What, is, what land is God calling you to take? Verse 8, verse 8, and I will give you all the land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner. What keeps you from taking all the land? Sometimes what's keeping you from taking all the land is the fact that you feel like a foreigner. You ever been to a different country? It's a weird language. They got weird food. It's hard to ask for directions. Don't even know where the bathroom is. Like, you know what I mean? But, but you, feel, you feel like you don't belong there. I'll go back to U7 for a second. I feel, I, I'm willing to bet that sometimes you feel like you don't belong on the campus of Davidson. Sometimes. Not all the time. You're in here too. You go there too. We got eight. Anybody else from Davidson in here? That just, we got nine. Let's go. We're about to take the whole campus now. That 70's looking a lot closer. 
But sometimes you feel like you don't belong. What situation are you in that you're saying, I feel like I don't belong here? See, I've been there. I've been in the rooms with the pastors who pastor larger churches than this one. They've written more books than me. They've gotten more degrees than I do. I've been in the room. And and in those moments, we all have a choice to make. You can either shrink back into who you were or, or you can step into who God is calling you to be. See, in chapter 17, Abram had a choice. He could shrink back into just being Abram or he could step into being Abraham. And what I know is this. It can either be frustrating or it can be an adventure. I get asked all the time, um, like what books I'm reading or, or if there's a, a specific book that has impacted my life. Well, one of the books that I picked up a couple years ago is called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl is a Holocaust survivor and he, and he wrote this. He said one evening, now, now mind you, he's actively in a concentration camp. One evening, when we were already resting on the floor of our hut, we were dead tired, soup bowls in hand, a fellow prisoner rushed in and asked us to run out to the assembly grounds and see the wonderful sunset. And standing outside, we saw sinister clouds glowing in the west, the whole sky alive with clouds of ever-changing shapes and colors and steel blue to blood red. The desolate gray mud huts provided a sharp contrast while the puddles of the muddy ground reflected the glowing sky. Then, then, After minutes of moving silence, one prisoner said to another, how beautiful the world could be. How beautiful the world could be. I I could focus on the fact that my girls won't grow up with grandfathers. I could focus on the fact that my dad has passed away. I could focus on the fact that that Tom has passed away. I could focus on the fact that I don't know what the stock market is doing right now. I could could focus on the fact that it, it feels like it's getting harder and harder to talk about Jesus. I could focus on the fact that we live in a cancel culture. And I could go on and on and on. And I could play victim. And I could easily allow myself to fall into this pit. Or I could imagine how beautiful the world could be. Listen, regardless of your situation, you can focus on that or you can focus on how beautiful the world could be. We we can't just be a church that, that talks about this generational stuff. We have to be about it. We have to focus on how beautiful the world could be. What you do makes a difference. Here's the kicker. It has to start with you. You have to get in the trenches. There's one other story that I want to share and then we'll We'll start to close. Brian, Brian Vaughn, are you in here? There you are. I'm going to call you out. I didn't ask you if I could share this story. I'm going to share it anyway. I owe you $5. That's like my rule if I share a story that I didn't ask you for permission for. Try not to get emotional when I say this. So Brian, over the past, man, maybe, maybe two to three weeks, will just text me randomly. And and it'll start off with something along the lines of, hey, man, I just felt like I I should send this to you. Now, what I believe is I believe the Holy Spirit was working through Brian. That's what I believe. We say, hey, man, I just want to know if you want to go, like, throw a baseball. What he doesn't know 
is that one of the, the moments in my life where I feel closest to Jesus, for some reason, is throwing a baseball. I, I, I don't know if it's because my dad and I used to do it, and I, 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 don't, I don't know, but, but it's just one of those things that kind of just, just, nothing else matters. Just throwing a baseball. He's done that twice. My father-in-law passed away, like many of you, like many of you. He was at the funeral. And, and there's something that, that kind of caught me off guard when I saw Brian. It was, it, was how, it was how Brian gave me a hug. And it wasn't just like a like pat on the back, like, hey, man, how you doing? That sucker embraced me. And he squeezed me. And I felt like he was there for me. What, what I truly felt like is, is that he was in the trenches with me. That regardless of what this life throws at me, he was going to be by my side. This generation stuff matters. Taking it to the streets matters. Going on the offensive matters. From generation to generation, it matters. It matters, church. Like, I, I don't... I don't know. I don't know how else to say. We're going to end a little differently. I don't. I don't know how else to say it. But to say it like this. There, I've, I've I've shared this before. There will be people that you interact with that might not understand or hear the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus unless you open up your mouth. Stop being passive. Stop being scared. Stop, stop acting like it doesn't really matter. I can't share my story without mentioning the name of Kevin Sheps. I've told you that time and time and time again. Who couldn't mention their salvation story without them mentioning your name and how you led them to Jesus? How beautiful, how beautiful the world could be. And we have our family day coming up on April the 17th. Could you dream for the next couple of months how beautiful the world could be? How beautiful could the parking lot be with new people? How beautiful could it be? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe, maybe you're in this room and you're like, Pastor, man, my... My life, like if you just if you just knew my life, it's not that beautiful. If you just if you just knew my life, there's there's so much that that I'm going through. I I I don't. I mean, I got most of this message, but but I got hung up on I got hung up on one part. I got hung up because I really don't know who God is personally. Genesis chapter 17 verse 5 says this. What's more, God is speaking. Speaking to Abram, and he says, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Maybe you're in this room today, and you need a name change. Maybe you're, maybe you're in this room today, and you want to start taking things seriously. Maybe you're in this room today. I'm going to talk to two groups. Maybe you're in this room today, and that first group... You're saying, you know what, Pastor Zach, I've, I've been on the sidelines too long. I've been passive too long. 
and, and the reason you've become passive is because you've gotten comfortable. And the reason you've gotten comfortable is because you know your salvation is okay. You know your eternity is okay. But you've gotten comfortable. You've gotten complacent. And maybe you'd say, Pastor, man, I need, to, I need to get back in the game. Like, I need, to, I need to take this thing to the streets. I need to be serious about this generational piece. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. You're saying, Pastor, I just got to take it more seriously. I need to get in. I need to dig in deep. You just put those hands right back down. And then maybe, maybe you're in this room. You're saying, Zach, man, I just I need to take it a step further. I just need, I need a name change. Because the world calls me broken. The world calls me an outcast. My past calls me a failure. My past says I'm not good enough. Can I remind you that God calls you son and daughter? That he calls you his own. So if you're in the room right now and and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe, maybe this is the moment. We believe at, at the church that, man, the most important, important decision you could ever make in your life is to step into a relationship with Jesus. Everything hinges from that. So if you say, Pastor, man, I just want to step into a, rela- a true relationship with Jesus today. On the count of three, would you just slip up your hands? Ready? One, two, three. If that's you all across this room. You can put those hands right back down. And if we could just say this prayer collectively, can we say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I need you. I don't want to do this life without you. Help me to live wide awake to your love and fully alive to my purpose. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, church, can we give it up for the people that just stepped into a relationship with Jesus? Listen, that, that's something to be excited about. Hey, if that was you, if that was you, right after service, right out of these doors to the left, we have our wide awake and our fully alive area. We believe that the most important decision you could ever make is saying that prayer and stepping into a relationship with Jesus. But that's just the beginning. We want to put some materials in your hand. We want to partner you with someone that will be able to disciple you day in and day out. Listen, I'm excited for the next couple weeks. I'm excited to wrap up this generation series. I'm excited for Easter. I'm excited for some of y'all to actually take it to the streets. But until next week, we'll continue to love Jesus and change the world. We'll see you guys next week.